Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read down through verses 14 to 21 here. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And let's pray again. Father, I thank you for your word tonight and pray as we look at it, you would teach us to pray. Help us, Lord, to um, look through these prayers and certainly put them in our hearts and and realize what the important things are. And we ask even tonight, you would go before us and just teach us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When you come back to that uh, first verse, and remember we've just kind of set this up again. We've been looking the last couple weeks on the prayers of Paul, the apostle. And uh, if you go through scripture and look at various prayers that are recorded, of course I think of uh, a lot of them found like in the Psalms, right? Uh, your Psalms of David and uh, some of the other Psalms. And you have in that, uh, often I go to those and kind of you, you hear the heart cry of the psalmist as he pours his heart out to God. But you also have... Um, the New Testament, and we have several instances of prayer, but I think Paul's the most prolific one as far as his prayers. And even beyond what Christ prayed, because you can search the, the uh, Gospels and the records of Christ, and you don't have a lot of prayer requests of Christ. You have him praying in the garden, right? He has the, the, the high priestly prayer part of that. We know a little bit more about it. We also know him making statements like pray the lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest and so obviously christ was praying and father forgive them for they know not what they do you know those those kind of statements and when you look at that there aren't a lot of uh, words surrounding that but we certainly know christ was well he was in constant prayer wasn't he and when they wanted to find him and the mob came to arrest him they knew exactly where he would be because by his habit he would be out in the prayer in the garden praying in the the uh, garden or the uh, yeah the garden of gethsemane and uh, the mount of olives in particular and we come to paul's writings and there's several that he writes in his epistles as if he was writing a letter to pray and have you ever thought about that like write a letter and put your prayer in words right uh, some of you have, and sometimes we do that. We'll send a little message, you know, I'm praying for you, or those kind of things. But uh, have you ever thought about just pouring out your heart to God in a prayer and putting it on paper? And, of course, many songwriters, they've done that and others. But um, I came across this illustration of, of Martin Luther, the, who was known as the father of the Protestant Re- uh, Reformation. But he had a good uh, assistant named Frederick uh, Myconius, and in 1540, Myconius became sick, and he was expected to die shortly. He was actually on his deathbed. He had uh, stopped speaking. His health was failing to a point where uh, he, he couldn't do much of anything. He did have the strength in him to write a quick message 
uh, and he, he put this uh, just a farewell message to Luther because he was, um, they were such good friends. But when Luther read the message, he immediately sent a reply. And I like this. And translated, it says this, I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now, that sounds kind of bold, telling a guy, you can't die, all right? And, and it's interesting because he was going to die, and people had made arrangements to have him die, but he actually recovered and went on to live another six years and saw much of those things that Luther wanted implemented in the Reformation happen and actually outlived Martin Luther himself by a couple months or something like that in, in that. And I, I think sometimes, and often people look back at that and they see the, the prayer life of Martin Luther as uh, something, he wasn't a perfect man and he had certainly things that were uh, somewhat flawed on uh, theology and other things, but I'll tell you, he was a man of prayer and he had learned to pray over the years and uh, I just thought that was a bold prayer request. And so maybe we need to do those kind of things. And again, it's God's will, right? And we come in line with God's will. But if, if we seek to glorify God in our life or in our death, right, um, he should be honored in our prayers as such as well. And uh, that obviously was a, a yes answer in Luther's prayer. If we come to this section of Scripture here, and Paul writes, for this reason, and the previous section, of course, talking there about uh, the gifts uh, of Christ. Actually, it's chapter 4, excuse me, when I'm looking back at chapter 3. The church, he has um, the fact that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. And he, again, has laid a foundation, the first three chapters of the the theology behind the book of Ephesians, the uh, orthodoxy, as you say, the next three chapters of the orthopraxy, how we live it out. But he couples the two together with this prayer. And he says, I bow for this reason. The, the previous things he wrote. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And ultimately, he's the Lord. That's really what is, is what Paul is saying there. And when we start in our prayers, we always, hopefully, uh, point heavenward first and acknowledge that he is God. And what we have learned of him and what we've read of him should really direct our hearts towards heaven and we see paul doing that as he bows the knee a symbol of humility and a, and often when you you go to prayer hopefully we go and not in a proud manner but in a humble manner but we aim our thoughts towards heaven in that whole process we see a number of times where uh, and again, Paul, who was at this time a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's pouring out his heart as he's being pressed. And in very, very often when people are pressed, that's when you see what's really in them, right? Uh, unfortunately, when the stress builds, sometimes it isn't always good what's in my heart, all right? And uh, I've had to go back and apologize to my kids more than once, and my wife and others are close to me and say, I, I blew it, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have been angry like that. But often when we are pressed as Christians, and, and this happens too, is you, know, you, you feel the pressure and the weight and everything coming and the world is closing in like Paul was. And what pours out is his faith, his belief. 
And we see that in this prayer. He points towards heaven in that. And prayers are often a window into the soul is what they are. When you think of Christ as he prays in the garden uh, and in Gethsemane, that Gethsemane means the olive press. Very interesting that that's where he was being pressed in the very place that the olives are pressed. If you want to get precious olive oil out of an olive, you have to squeeze it, you know. And that's exactly the place Christ chose to go and to pray to his heavenly Father. And it's there where he would sweat great drops of blood. We know what was in Christ. And uh, what was in Christ was, was not sin by any means. When Jesus was pressed, when he was reviled against, he reviled not again, didn't he? And uh, he's the only one, by the way, that when pressed was perfect in every way in that. And he goes to the cross, and it is there at the cross that his words are much more profound when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And uh, those seven statements from the cross that he makes, um, they certainly are are, um, more, I guess, in the backdrop of that, not necessarily more important, but it sheds a more clear light on it for sure. Uh, we look here at this prayer, and there's a number of things here, but I, it leads to verses 20 and 21, which is kind of a doxology, um, where he, he gives thanks to God and just bursts out in praise. And our prayer should do that as well. Uh, this week I've had a, a few prayer requests answered again, and I was just excited about that. The other morning I wanted to go visit somebody and um, had to do it for something and then the Lord just worked out a number of little detailed things that I was worried about that weren't even directly related but God worked them out through those the one situation I was I'm just amazed by it I won't go into details because it's uh, <laughs> quite confusing but anyways um, but it's it makes me excited about prayer tonight and I think that's what Paul was too as he began to pray his prayers were not just uh, you know vain repetition it wasn't just monotonous rote prayers but it was a heart prayer and that was the most um, probably the most refreshing thing that I have uh, you know had in my own life when I got saved was that the fact that I just could go to the Lord and pray and, and pour out my heart to him I didn't know how to do that before I got saved, really. I mean, I certainly tried to pray, but most of my prayers were just selfish prayers. You know, Lord, help me get out of this. <laughs> you know, that I, something I had done, or uh, give me that, those kind of prayers. And, but to look towards heaven and see Him in that. Uh, we see that, that strength. And I want to just go on. He says, From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Then verse 16, he says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Was it in Philippians? We were, but we looked at a few other things there. I know we were in Ephesians also there. But talking about the riches of his grace, all right? The riches. Paul never prays for material wealth on these Ephesians. That doesn't mean there weren't some wealthy people probably that were there. They were in a very prominent city in the ancient Roman world, a very go-to kind of city, lots of crafts and trades going on, and no doubt Christians, some of them, were doing just fine that way. Maybe some weren't, but that's not what Paul's concerned about. He goes and he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through, the, through his spirit in the inner man, not the outer man, 
The outer man is perishing, I hate to tell you. And some of you, you just you don't have to look too far, right? You see the outer man is perishing. But we, what we really, really, really need is the inner man strengthened. Because what's inside, you know, comes out, doesn't it? And I look at that because uh, that's what Paul starts with. I bet there was a whole list of prayer requests he could go down through, and he, he probably did pray for for certain immediate physical needs, and those might have been health needs, those might have been uh, needs that were required for, for money or other things like that. All that, I'm sure, and, and Paul does touch on some of those. But here, he focuses with the Ephesians, and he says that you might be strengthened in the inner man, and that you might, uh, he might grant you according to the riches of his grace. In, and that's even before, riches of his glory. And it's really ultimately his. And if you think of that, that's, um, uh, that's where the Lord starts on that. And the inner man, the inner man. Um, the inner man is the place where we need the most help. Uh, it's also, uh, if you think about it, uh, the place where we have the most battles. At least I'm talking from personal experience. Um, that's where pain is. Sometimes it's physical pain, something going on in your body, but also those hurtful things that have happened over the years. You know, uh, sometimes I, I sit down with my my kids and I, I think, you know, why are they so grumpy or something's happened? I, I realize they had a bad day. You know, it's just school was terrible and they they had an awful day. But sometimes it's late and getting that out of them and stuff. And I realize they look okay on the outside, but on the inside there's turmoil and it's time to get down and pray and ask to strengthen the inner man and to do that. It's interesting because Paul doesn't pray here, change their circumstances that the inner man may be comforted. That's often my focus, to be honest. I say, oh God, take this awful, painful thing away and just get it out of my life and I could be better. And no, we need to go out and say, Lord, strengthen me today that I might be able to go through this. Should you take this out of my life I'll be grateful <laughs> but if you don't I'm going to keep it here and I'm going to I'm going to say Lord how can I glorify you in it that's really how we ought to come at things in the inner man we see what we really are also and it's there in the inner man that you realize I'm not as strong as I always am right uh, I remember years ago I had a a guy in um, served with me in the military. He was this uh, like six five, you know, uh, African American guy, muscles just built out to here and all that. And we were inside a vehicle one day, and he saw a little spider crawling up next to him, and he screamed and he jumped out of the vehicle. I mean, we weren't moving. It was a good thing. And I thought, wow, you know, the inner man, or I didn't think of it clearly that, but obviously his inner man wasn't as strong as his outer man on when it came to spiders, right? And maybe some of you are like that too when you see something. But uh, uh, I, I, that, that's sometimes how we are. Outside, you say, man, fearless. That's the guy I want to go into battle with. When only realize the enemy only had to throw a spider at him and he was done, you know? And do that. Be careful. The inner man, you realize you're not as wise as you are. Uh, we've all been there where... You're hoping everybody thinks you know what you're doing, right? Sometimes I'm up here thinking that, uh, but I, we, we've been there where you're doing something and you go, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm not going to let anybody else know. Well, 
When it comes to spiritual matters, sometimes that's what the, we are. That's what Paul prays for about strengthening the inner man, and it has to be done through his spirit. Um, because we're not as wise as we think we are sometimes. And we're not as wise as sometimes others think we are. And the only wisdom truly comes from Christ through his spirit. And we need that. Um, the book of Colossians, of course, Paul writes that. And he, he emphasizes that theme, some in Colossians, but the wisdom of God, which is found in Christ. And the early church, of course, was, what were they doing? They, or they, the church at Colossae, they were, some of them were buying into this idea that uh, if you got more knowledge, you'd be a better person. And Paul turns that around and talks about the only wisdom that's true really comes from, from Christ. So you better start with him, right, and do that. And that theme runs through his books. It runs through other books as well, right, especially the book of Proverbs and, and those. Uh, the inner man, you realize you're not as resilient as you think you are. Uh, I had to laugh because when, uh, where's, Paul's not here tonight, is he? Uh, we were climbing Rocky Mountain not long ago uh, when we were climbing that. And that, there was one little stretch there, and there were four or five of us that were just struggling to get up because every step you took, the snow would collapse, and you just weren't gaining ground. And Paul was the last one in line. And poor guy, you know, he, he, he got about halfway up. I'm just trying to catch my breath. He says, I don't think I can do this. But then he saw one of the ladies pass him, uh, go, you know, keep, get up to the top, and, and he kept going, you know, and he made it to the top. So uh, and it spurred us all on because I said, we better do it, you know. And... Uh, I, I love that because sometimes, you know, you see the hill, you say, I can do that. But then you get halfway up and you're not really sure. And you need strength from somewhere else. And I'll tell you, that's often really how the, the Christian life is, isn't it? And the inner man also really, we're not as resourceful as we think we are sometimes. And we need wisdom from on high and resources from on high. Uh, we need to be able to know where to turn for help, those kind of things. Because uh, sometimes... Well, there's a lot of bad advice out there, that's for sure. And there's no, well, <laughs> there's no dearth of bad advice, that's for sure. You, we need good biblical counsel is what we need. There are three areas that we need to be strengthened. And I think uh, Paul talks about some of this, but he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love uh, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And then he goes on and says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that just builds on what he had previously said, being strengthened in this, but that we not only be strengthened, but we understand where the source of that strength is and where it rests. And not just that, you know, it's in the love of Christ. It's the fact that Christ is in me. But to know the depth of that and the width and the length and the breadth and the height and, and all of those things. And, and to do that, you've got to look at him and you've got to really see it. And also, you have to be reliant on him in those areas as well. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that. But that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith by faith or through faith <clears throat> and the word dwell that is used there uh, comes from two greek words uh, kata meaning down and then oikos meaning house or home so that christ might 
find our hearts a home, really, is the way you could put it. <laughs> that he would be at home in your heart, be at home in my heart. Uh, I think that's a great prayer. Because there are times that if Christ was to, you know, as I put it, I guess take our, our heart position. I hope you have Christ in your heart. That's where he's talking about here. But there are times that what's in my heart, what's in my thinking, what's in my, my what, what motivations, all that, is not very Christian. <laughs> and I need somebody to come along and say, we need to pray. And I thank God that he can be at home in your heart and my heart. And you say, well, how? Through faith. Same way you put on Christ is the same way you walk in Christ. That's another piece of advice from the Apostle Paul. He, he puts that out as well. If we put them on by faith, we need to walk, on, walk by faith. And our hearts should be a place where he is perfectly at home. It means it's like him. <clears throat> he goes on to say that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded. Um, that's the idea of, again, understanding the basis of why we do everything. Um, our, our relationship with the Lord should be based on His eternal love, His unconditional love for us, but also a love that's reciprocated. And that's also how we ought to be with each other. And rooted and grounded in that means it's more than just a superficial, it's, it's deep. And deep love it doesn't always... I was thinking about this because um, you know, my wife came in, so i got to behave. But anyways, uh, when I first got married, or I, I met my wife. We were dating, and about a year, we, we had gone out on our first date. And about a year later, we were married. And uh, maybe she didn't know what she was getting into. But, you know, uh, after we got married, I, I knew my wife a little better. But I, I didn't know all the things about her and I still don't probably but uh, over the years and now we're working on what is it 24 years I think something like that uh, I know we're all a lot better and hopefully my love for my wife is deeper and I do believe it is and I can tell her today that I love you more than when I first married you um, because we've been through more we we've experienced more i've seen more of the things that make her happy and excited and and the goals that she has and she's seen those in my life and as we continue on in this marriage hopefully we're we're doing that you know uh we've also had hard times right i mean i'm glad not hard as some but all marriages have sometimes where you don't get along uh almost perfect but not quite you know that and i just i say those also make you work something out and if you're not rooted and grounded in love you know what you do you say where's the lawyer I'm getting out of this and that's the world's filled with that and it happens to christians too and i'm not you know trying to slam that but i just say it's so easy to go that route don't though stay rooted and grounded in love do that and Christ is the same way. We, there are people that walk away from a, a relationship with Christ. And, and sometimes we say well, maybe they never were a Christian. Maybe they never did get saved. And that might be true. But I think there's some that just walk away hoping that he's not going to come and get them. <laughs> and, and they don't love him the way they should. He still loves them. And that's a dangerous place to be too. 
<clears throat> he goes on to say this, they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And I like that because you have there, um, again, the, the direction of this love. It's not just one direction, but it's everywhere. All right? And if you know Christ and you look for him and you look to please him, and he's saying that you might be able to understand that, comprehend that in all these different directions. I like that. It was um, W.A. Criswell, pastor of the First Baptist Church there in Dallas, who had, uh, he would preach on the, the uh, four dimensions of the love of God. And he'd use John 3.16. And he'd put it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you have here the, the scope, which is the, uh, uh, the breadth, all right, of his love that is available, that is for the whole world, okay? And the length of it, you say, how far would God go to reach the world? Well, the next part of that, he gave his only begotten son. That's the length all right, And then you have that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the depth. Because he came down to reach those who were perishing. And what did he do? That we might not perish but have everlasting life. That's the height. And you have right there the, the four dimensions, as he put it, of, the, of Christ. Uh, of, of what his love is like. What, is, what God is like. And we need to understand that. If you looked at John 3.16, you could take each one of those as a topic, you know, and I don't think you'd ever exhaust the scriptures on the directions of each one of those in the relation to what the Bible teaches on the, on the love of God. You wouldn't. You could do that and meet every Sunday for the rest of your life and you'd still have lots of, of sermons to, to hear and study and all that. God is able, isn't he, um, in that. <clears throat> he can also do anything. Let's go back to our text here. and um, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You want more of God in your life? Well, you have to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And it does. The examples found in Christ... Uh, or as uh, from Christians, because we see it played out that way. We certainly see what took place with the unconditional love of Christ at the cross. But we see how his followers are able to love others that aren't so lovely. And I, over the years, have had many times I've seen that. Um, everything from, you remember, let me show I think Wes was here one time. Remember Wes with Cere uh, Cerebral Palsy? And he was at MBBI as a student and Wes was pretty much handicapped enough he couldn't take care of his basic needs he had he couldn't really feed himself he he couldn't bathe himself he couldn't go to the bathroom and do those functions without somebody to help and God called him to go to MBBI and he had to, he was going to live in the dorm and the only condition they had is that, you know, when, when he got there, they went and met at the dorm, and Mr. Beebe, who was the president, he, he asked the men at the dorm, he said, you guys need to take care of Wes. Are you able to do that? 
And the guy said, yes, we are. And I watched that year. I was part-time faculty that year, so I was in a few days a week. And I watched as they hauled him down uh, from the dorm, down to the dining hall, and helped him eat, and then got him to class, and hauled him over here, and did that. And, oh, Wes needs to go to the bathroom. Somebody has to go and help him. Uh, it's time to get a shower in the morning. Somebody's got to help him. And you know what? It was an amazing year. Because that year, of all the years I, I was at MBBI as a student and as a, at the year, in, and West was there several years, but that particular year, there was a love for one another that really hadn't been there, not like that anyways, previous, that I had seen. I'm, I'm sure there was examples of it. It's, it's neat, but God just taught people a lesson probably far better than they could ever learn in a classroom. Because you can talk about this stuff. It's another thing to actually go do that. What does love look like? Well, it might be going into a bathroom and helping somebody clean up after they've, they've used it. And you say, that's, you know, I don't know. Uh, those kind of things. So, but I'm just saying that because that's, God calls us to the, sometimes the, the fullness of things and to experience God in his fullness. You've got to get dirty or you've got to get down and you've got to be where people are and love them in that way. Now to him who is able to, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know what I love about that verse? That first part especially says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I'll tell you what, I am so useless when it comes to asking God for things. Sometimes I say, Lord, I could, I could really use this, and I could use that, and and God's able to provide in ways that we couldn't even think of. Someone put it this way. It's like, it's like going out and standing in the ocean with a thimble in your, in your hands, taking up a little scoop of water and saying, God, do you think you could provide a little more water? You know, I mean, his, his blessings are infinite in that setting. And, and you're, we're sitting here with our little thimble of water worried about it running out, right? In no way is it going to... Uh, he's able to provide more than we can ask or think and do that. Really, he's able. He's able to do it because he's not idle. You've heard the phrase, God's not dead, and that's true. He's not dead. He's very much active. He's very much at work. He can do what we ask because he hears us when we pray. I don't always hear you. Al won't always hear you, you know. Others won't, but God does. And I'll tell you, he'll hear you when you can't even speak, right? The Spirit makes intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered. Those times I can't even get the words out, wouldn't even know what to pray if I did. And yet he still hears us, understands that, and interprets that, and knows what we need, even before we ask it. He's able, right? He can do what we think because he knows what we think before we even think it all right i like that i'm glad because there's times i come around to something i'm like wow that's so cool and god already had it worked out (laughs) before i even came to the idea that this is how we're to do it or something like that and he can do all we ask or think because he knows it all and he can do it all i like that You come to the end of this and he says this he says to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all 
generations forever and ever. Amen. And that doxology ends with the idea that the glory will go to him forever and ever, to all generations. And what we, in, in a real sense, what we do here tonight and how we go to prayer and what we do every day and what, how Christ dwells in our heart, all that is ultimately for his glory. Someday in heaven, we will see things differently. All those tears that have been shed down here, there'll be nothing like that up there. Uh, the prayers of the saints being poured out in, you know, an offering, a judgment that is talked about in the book of Revelation. I often wonder that even that brings glory to God upon the earth and upon in heaven when he takes all those prayers that are bottled up and he, he uses them as an offering. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You notice where that glory starts? The glory starts in the church and it leads to him. Why did he choose to save some of this motley crew that we are? Well, uh, because he's not done with us, one thing. He's transform, transforming us currently, and some of you have been quite transformed over that time. But yet, someday, we will be completely transformed, and he, will, he, he ultimately gets the glory in that, both now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and ask that you would help us to think on these things. And just as Paul prayed, that we might have the fullness of Christ and his love dwelling in our hearts and that we might be strengthened in the inner man and that we might give you glory in the way we live, the way we uh, face things today, tomorrow, however many things may come our way. And again, Lord, that you would be lifted up to all generations forever and ever. Amen.